What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. It's no secret that the Las Vegas Grand Prix has quickly become one of the most controversial sporting events this entire year. On one hand, trouble started days before the race even began, with 10,000 unsold tickets and plummeting hotel prices. Then it continued when Ferrari driver Carlos Sainz sucked up a drain cover going over 100 miles per hour, causing the cancellation of free practice one after just nine minutes. And it got even worse when Formula One delayed free practice two until 3 a.m. local time, kicking fans out of their seats and sending them home with nothing more than a $200 voucher, which eventually led to a class action lawsuit being filed, representing 35,000 people. But on the other hand, the race was awesome. We had contact, penalties, and a safety car. There were 82 overtakes, which, for context, ranked second this entire season only behind Zandvoort with 112. Ferrari driver Carlos Sainz passed Sergio Perez on the last lap to secure a second-place finish. And former F1 champion Jensen Button called Las Vegas the best street circuit on the calendar. So what was the race really like? Was it a disaster? Or was it everything we were told it was going to be? Well, the good news is that I was on the ground in Las Vegas last week. And for today's podcast, I'm going to provide some feedback on how I thought everything went. I think the most logical place to start is with the idea that Las Vegas was actually much busier than social media made it seem. Now, if you logged on social media this past weekend, specifically X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it, it was flooded with photos and videos of empty hotels and restaurants. Now, it felt like some of these people were trying to show an accurate representation of what was happening, while others had a predetermined mindset that the race was a bad idea and were simply looking for confirmation. I feel this way because I visited several hotels. I stayed at the Wynn. I also went to the Venetian, Caesars, and others. And all of them were packed. The Wynn, again, where I stayed, had thousands of people on the casino floor every single night. And restaurants where I went for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I ate every single meal there, were absolutely packed to the brim. Furthermore, people were spending money. Formula One merchandise is notoriously expensive. T-shirts will run you more than $100, and sweatshirts even can get up to over $300. And every shop that I saw had a flurry of people trying to buy things before they were gone. I'm talking about everything from just the random pop-up in the hotel lobby to the official Formula One store that I went to in the Venetian. For example, at the Venetian store, me and my wife had to wait in line for probably like 45 minutes even to get into the store. And every single person in the store is buying stuff. You're not waiting for 45 minutes to go in there not to buy anything. Every single person is buying stuff. And again, everything is really expensive. You could easily rack up a three, four, or $500 bill without even trying. So all the stores were busy. There were also a number of pop-up shops. In the wind specifically, there was Lewis Hamilton's Plus 44 clothing collection. He had a pop-up shop there. That was incredibly busy, a line out the door every single minute that the store was open. And Sotheby's, the auction house, even held a private auction at the wind this weekend. You guys probably saw online, they sold Tom Brady's last NFL jersey for $1.4 million. And they also sold Lewis Hamilton's 2013 F1 car for $18.8 million. Both of those were all-time records for a football jersey and a Formula One car. And the win also, they probably had $50 million worth of vehicles on the property this weekend. There was a Hennessy Venom Roadster, which for those of you that don't know about that car, there were only 12 ever made, multi-million dollar car. Again, Lewis Hamilton's car was there. That was an $18.8 million car. They had a 2002 Mercedes-Benz CLK GTR Roadster. The estimate on that car was over $10 million. So there was money being spent. There were a lot of high rollers, obviously, at these casinos and staying in the area for Formula One. Now, that's not to say that the photos and videos you saw on social media were fake. They weren't. They probably weren't. 
But I think the major disconnect for most people from what I saw online to being there in person came from the type of people that attend Formula One races. For better or worse, Formula One has always been an extremely wealthy sport. Some hardcore fans try to deny this, but there's a reason why Rolex is the sport's longest standing sponsor. And one of the things that I think best explains this was I saw a tweet online this weekend. It was a viral tweet. It had several thousand likes, and it was a video of an Outback Steakhouse on the Las Vegas trip. And it was totally empty. No one was there. And the idea behind it was basically that the Las Vegas Grand Prix was a disaster because the restaurants were empty. No one was spending money. And the businesses that had to deal with 12 months of, of upheaval from Formula One were not seeing any reward from this. And look, don't get me wrong. I, as much as anyone else, is not above a blooming onion. I love Outback. But when you're paying over $5,000 in some cases to attend a Formula One race in Las Vegas, you're probably not eating at Outback Steakhouse, which is why I think a lot of the restaurants at the Wynn and the Venetian and Caesars and other places like that were packed and other places like Outback were not. I met people that had traveled there from Dubai. I met people from New York. I met people from all over the country and places outside the country as well. These people were spending major amounts of money to travel to the race and attend the Grand Prix in Las Vegas. And I think it's one of the main reasons why more high-end restaurants were busy and some of the lower-end restaurants like an Outback Steakhouse or somewhere else like that weren't. And when you add in the fact that 315,000 fans visited the racetrack over four days, including the opening ceremony, that's significantly higher than the 200,000 average across Europe. So again, European races typically see about 200,000 fans per race or maybe 225,000 fans per race. The U.S. races historically have seen a little bit more. Austin specifically holds a ton of fans. They set the record last year with 440,000 fans in attendance. This year, I think it was 400,000. So Las Vegas at 315,000 fans is not only impressive, I think it's the seventh most visited race this year out of 21 so far, 22 races this year. So it'll end up seventh. And it was plenty busy. But still, that doesn't mean there weren't issues. And my biggest issue specifically is around Formula One pricing out fans and locals. Now, if you were following the commentary again on social media, you probably saw that there were a million celebrities at the Formula One race this weekend. We're talking Tom Brady, LeBron James, David Beckham, Brad Pitt, Justin Bieber waved the flag, Shaq was there, he threw an after party, Bad Bunny performed, Daniel Craig was there, Rihanna was in the Ferrari garage, Michael B. Jordan, and many, 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 many others. Now, that's not necessarily anything new for Formula One. I mean, Monaco is only on the calendar because of its history and star power. But I think Formula One might be pushing it too far at this point. For example, the cheaper restaurants on the strip were probably empty because the average person couldn't afford $1,000 plus tickets on race day. So not only is Formula One pushing locals out of town, whom they've disrupted for 12 months with road closures and street work, but Formula One is also making it financially impossible for average fans to attend races. So not only are local fans not attending races, but average Formula One fans who want to travel to different areas to attend different races and see their favorite drivers can no longer afford to do that either because the average three-day ticket for Las Vegas was over $1,600. The average three-day ticket to attend the three days of racing was over $1,600. And to give you a little bit of context on how expensive that is, you could go to Hungary for three days, the race in Hungary, for $184, all three days, $184. You could go to Bahrain for $265, all three days. You could go to Australia, again, all three days, $276. Canada, $297. Austria, $313. Spain, $328. Japan, $341. Mexico, $350. Azerbaijan, $380. Brazil, $390. Saudi Arabia, $391. Belgium, $393. Qatar, $422. Netherlands, Singapore, Abu Dhabi, Silverstone, Austin, Monaco, Mexico, all of them are cheaper, significantly cheaper. So again, to give you some context, 
Mexico is the third most expensive race on the calendar this year. To attend all three days of that race, it's going to cost you $688. Now, that's third. The two most expensive races this year are in the United States. Number two is Miami, over $1,100. So we jump from $688 to attend Mexico all three days to over $1,100 to attend Miami all three days. And then Las Vegas just took it to another level. It's over $1,600 to attend all three days in Las Vegas. Now, this price gouging is certainly more prominent in the United States than it is anywhere else in the world. And you can chalk some of it up to the secondary ticket market in the United States. But it's one of the main reasons also why European sports seem to just have more fan passion than we do here in America. If you don't believe me, just attend a football match at San Siro or Old Trafford or a EuroLeague game in Serbia or other places like that. There is a much, much, much less of a corporate feel versus a you know Golden State Warriors game in San Francisco. There was a tweet the other day that I saw online that I just absolutely loved. And it was the idea that back in the NBA finals, back in the day, everyone used to wear the same shirts, right? They used to hand them out before the game and everyone would put them on and it made the stadium look amazing. The fans looked incredible and there was just a totally different atmosphere. And if you look at the NBA finals over the last several years, specifically in Golden State, actually, it doesn't happen like that. They still give out shirts and a lot of people wear them. But if you look courtside, half these people are just wearing suits or dress shirts or whatever it is. And they're not dressing up. They're not super into the game. And it's a much more corporate feel. There's more luxury suites and other things like that. And that's one of the main differences, I think, right? Because the United States is so good at monetizing these sports assets, they don't care if it's a corporation or if it's an average fan. And I think when you do that, you lose some of the fan passion that Europe has done such an incredible job of maintaining over the years, whether it's football or basketball or anything else, right? They've done an incredible job of maintaining that fan passion by keeping tickets low and allowing people to attend these games if they're a fan. You grow up rooting for a team, you live in that era, you're able to go to games. Some of these Premier League tickets cost, you know, $10, $15, $20 to attend a game, rather than if you want to go to an indoor Miami game here in the United States to see Lionel Messi, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Their season tickets are now thousands of dollars to attend these games. And it's one of the things that I think, obviously, if you look at these one-off events, right, going to Las Vegas, tourists bring a bigger financial impact. If you look at the financial projections of the economic projections of what's supposed to be happening in Las Vegas, one of the things to keep in mind is that tourists are more important than locals because they bring net new money, net new tax money into the area that wouldn't have otherwise be spent there, right? So if I live in Las Vegas and I go to the Las Vegas race, my family probably has a budget, right? So that means we're going to go to one less dinner on the strip. We're going to go to one less event or show on the strip or something else like that. So the, the tax money is relatively neutral, given that's a local. So the idea that you're bringing in tourists, it's one of the reasons why the Super Bowl is so big. It's one of the reasons why Formula One races are so big and other events like that, where you're able to attract people from other parts of the country or internationally into the area because they're spending net new money on taxes. Now, obviously, that's important. But $1,000 plus tickets, you're pricing out real fans. And I truly do think it's something that Formula One needs to be careful about going forward. You don't want to cross that line. Because when you cross it, in some instances, you can't go back because the promoters and Formula One itself, they're a publicly traded company and shareholders are going to be used to them making a certain amount of money and profit. And once you cross that line, you can't go back. So that's certainly something to watch going forward. But it also leads me to my other point, which is that Liberty Media, I think, deserves some slack given their impressive history. Now, Red Bull's Max Verstappen, he's obviously a polarizing figure over the last several years. Part of it is because he and his team are so damn good. He's won 18 out of 21 races so far this year. But part of it is also because he's so direct and unapologetic. And some people hate it and some people love it. But this weekend, for instance, I mean, this guy was on one. He absolutely unloaded on the Las Vegas Grand Prix. 
Now, I think if you go and you watch the full interview, some of it is probably taken a little bit out of context, but he called it a clown show. He even encouraged fans at one point to tear the place down when they were only given a $200 voucher. But by the end of the weekend, Max had a very different tone. He said the race was super exciting and he was happy to come back next year. He loved Vegas. He was singing Viva Las Vegas in his car. And it was just a totally different tone from what he had earlier in the weekend. Now, I'm sure some of the 80 plus overtakes and some good hard racing helped improve Max's opinion of Las Vegas. But regardless, that's why I think Liberty Media deserves the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying the race was perfect. I'm not saying there weren't issues. But think about it this way. Formula One was really struggling when Liberty Media purchased the business for $4.4 billion in 2016. The sport was losing millions of viewers. Teams were going bankrupt by spending just way too much money. And the sport, Formula One's future, was uncertain. But Liberty Media stepped in, they stabilized the business, and they've grown it a lot over the last seven years. For example, let's just look at a couple of things they've done. We talked about this the other day. They obviously did all the social media stuff by opening up the rules and allowing the teams and the drivers to post stuff on social media. Cool. No brainer. They launched F1 TV. Great. Awesome. That's that's hugely beneficial. I think it's the best streaming service in sports. But they also did the cost cap, right? I think the cost cap was huge. You made the, fin- the teams financially viable for really the first time ever in Formula One. Now these teams have multiples like NFL teams or NBA teams. They're treated as real franchises that have cash flow and turn a profit every single year because the costs are now under control. They changed some of the regulations to tighten up the field and and encourage more passing, obviously, from an aerodynamic standpoint. And they grew the sport by partnering with Netflix on F1 Drive to Survive. Now, I tell you these things because they may seem like logical steps today, but many people didn't think they were very smart at the beginning. And to continue to grow the sport, you have to continue to innovate. So sure, maybe some of the stuff that they did at the Las Vegas Grand Prix ended up being over the line. Some people may say the opening ceremony was unnecessary. The luxury cars at the beginning of the race that ended up spilling on the racetrack or requiring cleanup. Maybe those were unnecessary. Not having a cool down room and putting them in a Rolls Royce or whatever it was to transfer them over to the podium. Maybe that was unnecessary. You guys get the point. But if you never cross the line, if you never go too far, you'll never know that the line is actually there. And one thing is for certain, no other promoter on the planet, no race promoter on the planet in their right mind would have invested $500 million on a single race. The Las Vegas Grand Prix would have never happened without Liberty Media. And the idea behind that is that Liberty Media was investing in the future of the sport. They, they put over $500 million. I heard a report saying it was closer to $600 million of their own money, of cash on their balance sheet into this event to make it successful for not only this year, but year two, three, four, a decade down the road. They're investing in motorsports in North America. They want this race to be successful and they want the sport to grow over time. So let's give Liberty Media the benefit of the doubt. And see how year two goes, right? If you don't cross the line, you're never going to know where it is. Sometimes innovation goes a little bit too far and you say, okay, we now know where it is. We know, right? We're not going to do this. We're going to get better about this for year two. But they're investing in the sport. They're spending $600 million of their own money. This would have never happened without them before. And we would have never, 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 never had a race down the Las Vegas Strip because the risk reward just isn't there from a promoter standpoint, right? If you're a promoter, you're not going to go lay out five, $600 million unless you actually own the business and you want to see the sport grow long-term. That's exactly what Liberty Media did. And I think they should be commended for that. I don't think that we should continue to give them a hard time because they had the glitz and the glamour and everything else like that. That's how the sport has always been. They're just doing it on another level and pushing the boundaries from an innovation standpoint more than we've ever seen it before. The other thing I want to talk about is that I think Las Vegas probably now has one of the best motorsports facilities in the entire world. And I don't want to talk about the track or everything else like that. Obviously, a lot of that is temporary and they're going to take it down, the stands, everything else. But 
The Las Vegas Grand Prix was the most talked about race this season. But Formula One's new 300,000 square foot permanent paddock building, they're calling it the pit building, definitely stole the show. Now, I was fortunate enough to be able to watch the event from in the paddock building, and it was absolutely incredible. I've been to the one in Miami, I've been to the one in Monza, and I've seen many others through social media and other things like that. And there is not a nicer one than the one in Las Vegas. I'm certain of that. This thing is absolutely massive. For those that aren't up to speed, Formula One purchased a 39-acre piece of land right off the Las Vegas Strip for $240 million last year. Now, the $240 million that they spent on that piece of land was obviously part of the $600 million that they spent. But $240 million, if you guys saw this land, I tweeted it the other day, it was literally an empty dirt field. It was like a parking lot, but it was just dirt. There was absolutely nothing there. It was barren and useless. They paid $240 million for that piece of land, 39 acres. And then they built this permanent 300,000 square foot paddock building that is going to be there full time. It's four stories tall and it's three football fields long. This thing is absolutely amazing. Again, it's brand new and it's going to serve as the U.S. permanent headquarters for Formula One. And you're going to be able to go there during the off season, right? When races aren't being held, they're going to give you tours of the facility and they're going to hold some other events there too. So not only was this race put on, but this building is permanent. It's super nice. So when the Grand Prix is taking place, the high profile guests and the people that are spending a lot of money and the teams and their partners have a nice space to be in and promote and do sponsorships and other stuff like that. So it's going to make a lot of money for Formula One. But I think from a contextual standpoint, this is, again, another huge investment from Formula One in the space. I don't even want to know how much money it took. The fact that they're able to construct it up from a dirt lot in less than 12 months is extremely impressive. But I'm even more impressed that, again, Formula One is investing this much money into the sport, Liberty Media specifically, and wants to see it grow and succeed that much better. Again, Miami just built a permanent paddock. It's certainly not the only permanent paddock on the F1 schedule, but it's absolutely remarkable. And I think it's easily the nicest one on the entire calendar all year. And last but not least, the Las Vegas Grand Prix was Liberty Media's test for future events. That was probably my biggest takeaway from this entire weekend. You guys have heard me talk about this enough at this point. But the most interesting part about this race, to me at least, was that Liberty Media was serving as its own promoter. Now, you guys know uh, Formula One is traditionally an asset-like business. They don't own the cars, the teams, or the racetracks. What they do is they set, they set hosting fees. So Abu Dhabi or Austin or Miami or the race in Canada or Silverstone or whatever. Those all have their own promoter, right? So an individual organization promotes that race and pays a hosting fee to Formula One. It could be anywhere from like $20 million or $15 million for a place like Monaco to $55 million for somewhere like Abu Dhabi, right? So they range, but you're paying tens of millions of dollars to host the race. And essentially what it is, is it's like a huge licensing fee. You're paying Formula One to bring the show to town, and then you're selling the tickets, you're setting everything up. Obviously, you have to work with the FIA and Formula One to make sure everything is by code, but you're essentially taking on all the risk after that. Formula One collects the money, and then they go out, they sign sponsorships, and they sell TV rights. And that's how they make the majority of their money. But this limits their financial upside, right? Because if they're not promoting the event, they're leaving a lot of money on the table, essentially what the promoters are making. So if the promoters are making money, that's money that Formula One could be making. So Liberty Media said, okay, we're going to go try to do this in Las Vegas. We're going to invest all our own money to build the racetrack, to build the permanent paddock, to sell the tickets, do the sponsorships and everything else. They took on a ton of risk. And that's what I meant by saying that no other promoter in the world would have done this. Formula One is the only one that would have put on this race, and they're the only one to do it. So that's what they did. But the reason I talk about this is because I think this is a sign of what's to come. So you guys are going to be able to listen to a podcast. I report, I recorded a podcast at The Win with one of the gentlemen's name was Jefferson Slack. Now, Jefferson is the managing director of the Acid Martin F1 team. Renato was also on the podcast. He's the global head of marketing and communications for the car division of Acid Martin. 
It was an absolutely awesome podcast. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. We essentially talked about how they use Formula One and their Formula One team to sell sports cars and the direct relation between the finances between the two, who's buying the cars, how much money they're able to make, the, the link between the two, the licensing deal and all of that. Super interesting. But one thing in particular that Jefferson said stuck out to me. And I asked him two questions. I said, if we zoom out and we look to 2030 down the road, one, how many races does Formula One have on the calendar? And number two, how many are Liberty Media promoting themselves? And he said that he thinks Formula One is going to have 25 races on the calendar up from 22 this year. So in seven years, we'll have 25 races. We'll add three more to the calendar. And the reason why I agree with that is I think they have a ceiling, right? From a logistics standpoint, you guys all know that Formula One is incredibly taxing and incredibly difficult. The drivers, I mean, they finished the race on Saturday night in Las Vegas. They stayed till Sunday. They're now going to fly. It's a 19-hour flight. They're going to travel 8,500 miles with a 12-hour time difference in Abu Dhabi and race in six days, right? That's just absolutely incredible, not only from a physical standpoint, but you also have to imagine they have to transport all the equipment. They have to transport the cars. There's hundreds hundreds of employees for each team that go to these races. They have to transport all the garage stuff, everything else, right? The tires, everything has to get there, and they have to be racing and set up in six days. It's absolutely incredible. So I do think that there is a ceiling. I think 25 is probably that ceiling from a logistics standpoint. They just can't go anymore. But the second question, again, and what I asked him was, how many races would Liberty Media be promoting? And he said three. And I thought three was interesting because if there's 25 races on the calendar, that means that the vast majority of the races are still not being promoted by Liberty Media. There's only three, right? And obviously, one of those would be Las Vegas, and maybe they take over another one or two of them from other places or build their own. Now, the reason why I think that is so interesting is because this was the test of what a race could look like if it was run by Liberty Media. And again, not everything was perfect. The situation specifically with Carlos Sainz was, was almost unforgivable, right? He said he couldn't feel his legs for a period of time and he could have gotten seriously injured. That's nothing to joke about. It's obviously serious. It's one of the things that Formula One needs to get under control. But I would caveat all of that with like, this stuff kind of happens, right? I went to the first year in Miami and then I went to the second year. The second year in Miami for a new race was tremendously better. The first year, they didn't have signs. I had no idea where I was walking. The second year was much better. They had the permanent paddock. It was much easier to get around. It was cleaner. There was more staff. There was more security. There was more food offerings. There was better performances. The track was better. It was just way better overall the second year. My guess is that's going to happen in Las Vegas as well. And when the track stuff comes up, the thing that I tell everyone is like, this is not unique to Las Vegas. We've seen these drain issues on several other street circuits all around the world. Specifically, if you look at Formula One, we've seen it in Baku. We saw it in Singapore and we've seen it in Monaco, right? So several other tracks that are on the calendar every single year, the same drain issue has happened. Las Vegas will get that under control. Formula One will get that under control. And I think what we're going to see is if everything goes well in year two, three, four, this is the model that they're going to go deploy in other parts of the world, right? So maybe they end up taking over a track where the promoter isn't financially stable, or maybe they go build a new one or do a different street circuit or take over a real racetrack or whatever it is. But I think that this race specifically was just a huge test case. And that's really how you should look at it, right? The first part of the weekend obviously could have gone much better. You know, they could have done pricing better on tickets and hotels and everything else like that. The track could have been better. The second half of the weekend, I would argue, was one of the best of the, of the season. It was an incredible race. It was super entertaining. And I really enjoyed it. So I would just look at this as a test case for what's going to happen to Formula One over the next few years. And some people are going to be happy about that. I totally get that. And there's traditionalists and purists and everyone like that that says it's not about the sport. And I think that's really what Max Verstappen was saying, right? He was saying that he prefers racetracks where you're testing the real skill of a driver, right? He he doesn't like street tracks. He prefers tracks that are built for Formula One cars. 
And it's things where you can really put the car to the limit, right? You can press down to the limit and go as far as you possibly can, as fast as you possibly can, and really push the limit on what's possible in a Formula One car. And I totally get that, right? As, as, as someone like Max Verstappen, who grew up watching the sport, whose father participated in the sport, and that's all he ever wanted to do. I totally understand. I understand why some traditionalists and purists would want that and be a little bit hesitant about Liberty Media. But again, if your sport does not innovate, look what's happened with baseball over the last several decades. If your sport does not innovate, you lose fans and you disappear over time. It's just a matter of fact. Every sport that we see today, whether it's the NFL doing their first game on Black Friday and going international, whether it's the NBA doing the in-season tournament and other stuff like that, international soccer, international football, pushed it a little too far, right? That proverbial line that we talked about earlier in this podcast, they probably went over it with the Super League, right? They had to pull it back a little bit. The fans said, hey, don't forget about the history of this sport. Don't forget the reason why we have promotion relegation. Don't forget about the people that make this sport and the fans that buy the tickets and go and watch the games on TV. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, though. You have to continue to innovate. And I think Liberty Media has proven themselves to be an incredible operator over the last several years and probably, in my mind, one of the best operators in all of sports right now. They're doing a great job. And Las Vegas is just another example of them continuing to innovate and push the boundaries on what's possible to make the sport bigger and better than ever before. That's it for today, though, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I was able to provide a little bit of insight into what the Las Vegas Grand Prix was actually like, boots on the ground in Las Vegas. I personally had an incredible time there. Major shout out and thank you to the Aston Martin Formula One team for not only setting me up with the interview that will be out later this week, but hosting me in the paddock club, letting me look at the cars, see the facility and everything else. I had an amazing time. And truthfully, it's one of those pinch me moments, right? Where I just say, hey, thank you to all of you for helping me make this my career, right? My life looked entirely different just a few years ago when I was working at JP Morgan in New York City. Now I get to create content at the intersection of sports business, two things I really love. I get to travel to different events and see awesome, incredible things. And I'm just super thankful that not only do I get to do that stuff, but I get to share with all of you and you guys support me in that endeavor. So thank you so much. I hope everyone has an incredible day and we'll talk on Wednesday.